Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast Q&A edition with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Paddy, how are you this week? I am positively fantastic, as per usual. We are still under lockdown, quarantine. I don't know what the fuck we're under, but we are still under it uh, for another two weeks. Well, I don't know, just coming out on a Thursday, so for another week and a half, uh, where I am. Gary, you're fearful um, of it being locked down where you are in both Cork and Kerry, or as I like to say, the, the kingdom of Desmond. Um, you're still fearful that they could, in fact, impose tyranny there as well, yes? Potentially. I'm home in, home in Kerry this weekend, well, literally for 24 hours, because I was like, you know what, we could get locked down, so I'm going to go home and see the fam before we all get killed off by the Rona, you know? So, um, yeah, so you're spreading said, the Rona, is what you're saying? Yeah, I said I'd bring it down with me, you know, just, just for the crack. Um, nice. So, yeah, hopefully I didn't infect anyone on the way. But anyway, um, we're back together, me and Patrick, after Monday's uh, break. So this Monday, you will have listened to Mr. Richie Kirwan. Kerwin, I keep saying Kirwan. Uh, Kerwin on the Kerry. podcast. <laughs> Richie Kirwan, <laughs> uh, listening to Richie on the podcast. Um, so hopefully you enjoy, all enjoyed that. And now we're moving back to the Q&A edition and we're going to discuss uh, the topic of bad foods. The question being, you know, are there bad foods or are we able to classify foods into being good or bad? And entering into this conversation, I suppose it's first worth noting, noting that you could probably do a two-hour podcast on this topic, breaking down all of the different components of foods and their merits and you know the, the good things and the bad things, et cetera, and what makes a good diet. But we've discussed and so many of those on things. That, just on that, that is on my list of articles to write, which will probably come out late 2022. Um, but it is on the list, so it will get discussed at some stage. If you are an avid reader of the blog um, and obviously you know further discussions around nutrition can be found on the blog and of course our podcast there's fucking hundreds of episodes now on nutrition related questions and topics but yes this this question comes in many forms we get it whenever you start with a new client we get some form of this this question you know i'm going to be talking to two of my clients and two new clients this week well last week um and they were kind of like, oh, like talking about food rules and like, is this food okay to eat or should I not eat this food? And, you know, asking around good and bad food. So this question comes up quite regularly. And like, I'm sure Gary was about to go into when I, I rudely interrupted him. Um, a lot of the, the, a lot of the dis- discourse uh, around this is quite like a dichotomy and it can be quite hard to understand what's what's right and what's wrong effectively. Yeah. And, and that, that is why this is important because I suppose when you first get into maybe trying to manage your nutrition, you probably come into like the first barrier, which is what should I eat? And you kind of end up with these really simple rules around clean eating, for example. And typically that involves you, you know, choosing primarily whole foods. It's generally a relatively restricted list of foods, especially if you come in from the bodybuilding side of things, it will typically be, you know, your diet's based around uh, some chicken, some turkey, some eggs or egg whites, maybe some beef if you're lucky, maybe some salmon if it's, you know, they're really out there. Um, And then a combination of basically potatoes and rice the vast majority of the time. Like that's maybe some veg, maybe. 
maybe some veg, you know, as an accessory on the side, just to keep you full. But that's basically like what the diet ends up kind of being com- composed of. And, you know, for, for, for most people, the idea of clean eating can probably be, you know, it can be attributed to that type of diet, but also, you know, just generally the idea that the foods should be, you know, not heavily processed and even trying to define exactly what that means can be challenging. It might be that you want there to be low sugar. You don't want there to be sweeteners. You don't want there to be maybe certain types of fats or whatever. So we kind of have these food rules that, you know, depending on where you're getting your information, they might vary a little, but they often vary on, or they often basically come back to the point that here are the good foods and avoid all the rest, you know, that the rest are just bad foods. But as you kind of evolve beyond that perspective, you'll begin to encounter people who say things like, you know, there's no, there's no foods that are necessarily bad. It's just about the overall uh, context of the diet. And for me, that's a very reasonable statement. And that's pretty much what you'll hear. Both Patty and I discuss the vast majority of the time. We'll say things like, look, don't focus so much on specific foods, focus on the diet as a whole and what that then looks like over time. And then also your interactions with the diet from a psychological and a social perspective even. So that's like a, a, a real kind of nuanced take that I would say is probably in the middle and probably what we will focus on, but you can actually end up at the other side of the spectrum, which probably isn't great either, where some people believe that, and there's, there's two versions of this, I think. The first one is food quality and the foods you eat don't matter at all. Just focus on calories and macros. You know, that's all that matters. And that's typically what you'll get from, from the kind of people who are more, more focused on their physique or their body composition. And it's a kind of an, if it fits your macros approach. So the idea being that you can change your body composition once you hit your calories and your macros, and you don't really have to focus on the specific foods. However, like that's probably a bit misleading because the reality is that it's easier to adhere to calorie and macro guidelines. If you do actually concern yourself with foods And if we're going to talk about health, it actually gets a little bit more complex than just calories and macronutrients. And then there's probably a second version on that end of the spectrum, which is very different, but still on the opposite side of the, the kind of clean eating spectrum, you could say. And that is the idea that, you know, we should never uh, refer to foods as being bad or unhealthful uh, because that could be psychologically harmful. So the idea that, you know, if we have that dichotomous uh, thought process of good and bad foods, that that's going to lead to eating disorders. And that, that for me is, is there's, there's truth in that and there's utility in recognizing that we shouldn't have a, a straight, strict dichotomy between good and bad foods, but we also still have to acknowledge that there's some sort of hierarchy, you know, I think we can all agree that we, if we, if, if you got, got a lot of nutrition experts together and you were to say, you know, what, what, how would you rank these foods in terms of their healthfulness, their likely, the likelihood that they will promote health. Um, you could probably come up with some common things. Like most people would agree that, you know, eating more fruits and vegetables is probably better the vast majority of the time than eating more crisps and chocolates and sweets, for example, you know, the vast majority of the time, are there exceptions? Of course, there are exceptions. Those exceptions would be things like if someone was recovering from an eating disorder, and they very, very clearly had an aversion to eating any sort of foods that weren't really restrictive, then some sort of graded exposure to that person having more things like some chocolate in their diet, so they they can enjoy food in a little bit more of a, a moderate way. 
that might be actually beneficial in that context. Additionally, if you're an athlete who's trying to gain weight and you've reached your limit of calories that you can consume with low palatability, meaning that, you know, your basic clean, clean, quote unquote, clean diet, that that's not, that's not covering you anymore. You actually might want to add in some foods like some chocolate so you can bump up your calories further. Also, you could say that, you know, if you were starving in the desert, and you came across some chocolate, then that'd be super beneficial. And I suppose that's the thing that's important to realize here is that a lot of our, our drives for food and the food choices we make, they're effectively evolutionarily conserved. And you know we're still acting as if we were food seeking, even in an environment where food is abundant. So it's a bit, it's a bit messier than just saying good or bad foods but I think we can still create some sort of hierarchy and there are multiple features that would determine where foods might then be in that hierarchy. Yeah. The, the, the whole discourse is actually incredibly nuanced. And unfortunately in this quicker podcast, we're not going to be able to give you, okay, choose these foods. Don't choose these. foods. Yeah. <laughs> However, I think if people get in their mind that either side of that argument where it's like, you know, pick these foods and that's all you eat, like eat these seven foods and that's all you can eat. You know, these are the only good foods, you know, and all the rest of these are bad foods. And the other side of the argument where it's like, oh, you can eat whatever the fuck you want as long as you hit your calories and macros. Those are the two kind of, we'll say, either sides, the the straw men of the arguments, right? If people can go away from this podcast and understand that, okay, so it's probably not either of those arguments in its totality in terms of, you know, maybe at certain points in your life, those things are going to be helpful. Maybe you are dealing with some digestive issues and you're like, right, I've actually narrowed it down to these seven foods. These are the only ones that I can eat and not feel like fucking shit all day. You know, maybe that's what you need to do for a while. And then obviously if someone else is preaching that same message, you're going to gravitate towards them. However, once you understand that, okay, if I am trying to change my body composition, manipulate my health, whatever, like, the underlying principles of calories, macros, all that kind of stuff still applies to the seven foods that I'm eating, you know? So you can take little bits from the other side of the argument and go, okay, I'm going to layer that on top of what I'm already doing. Like the, the classic argument against, you know, oh, only eat these seven foods is like, what do you do once that's all you're eating? You know, how do you, if you're not getting the results you want, what do you do? Are you not eating enough of the clean foods? Are you eating too much of the clean foods? And then it starts becoming an argument where it's like, okay, you're actually just trying to manipulate calories now. So there are better, better methods of manipulating calories, such as tracking your calories and macros. And like we've, we've talked about it before, how people are hesitant to reach to the other side in terms of, you know, maybe they are eating a quote unquote clean diet, you know? And as a result, then they're like, all right, this is getting me great results. But when they start to stop or, you know, uh, you talked about it before where Chris Masterjohn uh, got a lot of basically hate when he started talking about, oh, I started tracking my calories and macros because I wanted to change my body composition. And people were like losing their mind because it was like, oh, well, like you're the, the, let's say the healthy food guy. You talk about foods more than you talk about like calories and macros you know? And they were like, Oh, what, what are you doing? You can't do this. Like, it's all about the, the foods that we eat. I thought that's the, the, the master key. I don't want to track calories and macros. And when you realize it's like, okay, there's, there's benefits, pros and cons to both 
sides of this debate you know they're just tools in your toolbox there are obviously as we've said and we're not going to get into it like every single food there are obviously better foods and we'll call them quote-unquote worse foods for a given population for a given people and that's just the way it's going to be and you just have to navigate a food environment that that's the way it is and you have to create a, a diet from that that suits your preferences suits your goals suits what you have available to you and all of that stuff, right? And ultimately having this this notion where are these good or bad foods, it is helpful in some certain, like certain circumstances. However, it can, can be almost pathological in other circumstances. So what you really need to do is have that kind of more balanced approach to it and realize that there's probably no bad foods, right? Like, objectively there are bad foods like if you eat i don't know cyanide you know you're going to die <laughs> you know um so obviously objectively there are bad foods you know we're like okay don't eat that plant because it kills you right um but if we're just talking about foods that humans normally eat then there's no bad foods per se however that doesn't mean that all foods are going to be good for you to eat you know just because you track your calories and macros you know, we have to take into account, again, the satiety, the micronutrients, like the whole host of other things that go into making a diet a successful diet, which again, you can read up more on the blog or, you know, listen to the hundreds of episodes of podcasts that we have up here and videos on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Um, but ultimately, this question is easy to answer. It's like, is there good and bad foods? No right? However, to really dive deep into it, it's a maybe, you know? It's like, mm, well, it depends. Who are we talking about? And this is also one of the things that it is actually incredibly hard. And it's frustrating if you know a little bit about nutrition, where uh, like a government organization will make a population-based recommendation. And they'll talk in terms of foods, because like your granny isn't going to go, mm, how many grams of protein are in that food, right? So, because they talk in foods, all of a sudden the conversation gets shifted to foods, right? Which, you know, ultimately I think is a, a good thing if we're talking to a population who, you know, eat food, they don't eat calories and macros, you know, they're not, they're not objectively, they're not counting your calories and macros. Most people aren't, you know, so they eat food. So if you talk in food, it's a little bit easier to understand. However, that leads to a situation where people are thinking in terms of only food and we start getting these rules around food where it's like, don't eat that food. It's bad for you you know, and that can be, again, an, an issue for, for some people. Yeah. And, and, and it is really that case of like, when you're asking, right, what foods are good and bad, the next step is always to ask, okay, for who and what's, and what's their goal? You know what, like, what are they trying to achieve through diet? And, and obviously like there are infinite nuances to that. Like, I mean, if you were trying to have a health discussion, let's say about red meat, you know, you might have a, a population level recommendation to say that, you know, we, we recommend this amount of red meat and these, type, this types, these types of red meat for people on average. But that's always what population recommendations are. It's like, all right, what's going to take care of the vast majority of the population? What would be likely to move their health um, towards better health, hopefully? However, you know, you might, you, you might say this to one person in one case, let's say they've already got advanced um, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. They're trying to really minimize um, their saturated fat and maybe bring down their calories and stuff for that individual. It might be like, okay, we actually want to 
cut down on your red meat because you've been eating, you know, a lot of sausages and a lot of burgers and they've got, you know, higher fat quantities, et cetera. And that's obviously a very reasonable recommendation. However, if, if someone else was saying, let's say they had, we talked about it on Monday, they had sarcopenia. So they've got, you know, really low levels of muscle mass. They've, let's say they're quite frail. Their function is, is declining. Um, and they've got, you know, really poor uh, appetite, but they find, you know, that red meat is actually really appetizing for them. They really enjoy red meat and it's going to contribute to their overall protein and their overall calories. And their main risk of ill health in the future is more so related to low body mass, low muscle mass than it is atherosclerosis or cardiovascular disease. Then in that case, you might say, oh, actually, you know, for this individual, we actually want that person to eat more red meat. And it might even be of a fattier kind that could potentially be beneficial for that individual. You know, so, so nutrition is always a question of, of for who and, and, and what their goal is. Just but on another one of those, yeah, go ahead. actually easy to see as well with the red meat discussion with that for who, especially if you just go, okay, we're just talking about health, right? Because obviously that's, you know, a goal of people that people have. But if you look at it and you go, okay, health for who? Like you said, that person that has you know, potential markers of, you know, heart disease. And you're like, all right, we, we need to be way more on top of this. The recommendation for that person is going to be different than the 15 year old female who's anemic over yeah. here, you know, or even on a population base. Cause obviously that's easy to do where you're talking like, well, we have these individuals, like you could be talking about a population that have lower levels of nutrition overall and are at an increased risk of anemia because i know in the western world we kind of think like oh that's only just you know girls that get that because you know they're not eating any red meat and you know they have periods and you know blood loss and like all that kind of stuff and you're just going oh yeah we like for those specific people we'll we'll recommend a little bit more red meat right but across the world like it's actually a huge issue uh, like uh, iron insufficiency we'll say um so for populations like a, a, the general government population, like recommendation could be, okay, the population wide recommendation is eat more red meat, you know? And this is actually really annoying because a certain government organization or, you know, health organization or whatever it is, NGO, whatever, will make a recommendation when they're talking about this country, but then people from a, a wealthier country or a, a different country will be like, oh, see, they say this for this country. So obviously these are good foods. So, you know, why is our country so behind on the times? And, you know, they're not following the advice of, you know, this government organization or the, I don't know, this health organization or whatever it is, you know? And it's like in different populations, there's different, different requirements, different needs. Yeah. There's also, and even, even within, um, within a given country, if you look at the kind of temporal nature, like if you were to say, how would we create, how, what would you tell someone to eat now in where we have a, an abundance of food where the vast majority of our health problems are related to just having too much, too much food, not enough moving, sedentary lifestyle, etc. And then you were to go back to like 1800s Ireland, you know, it's like, all right, same country, you know, both, both, both here in Kerry, two same individual, similar individuals. Um, at different points in time, clearly the recommendations in terms of what foods would be good or bad are going to be very, very different in those two contexts. So, so overall, look, we could go all day talking about all these different examples of, of where a food could be uh, good in one context and bad in the other. But the reality is that in adva- relatively advanced societies, um, like most people listening to the podcast will live in, the reality is that we have an, an, an overabundance of food. 
Um, everyone is able to go to the shop and get crisps and chocolate with their pocket money, if you will. You know, it's not a big expense. Um, you could go up to Tesco there and get five bars of, of dairy milk for two euro or even less than two euro sometimes. Um, so clearly, like we, we have an abundance of food. And the reality is that most of us can agree that for the vast majority of our population, eating less chocolate, crisps, biscuits, chips, etc., is probably a good idea. You know, we, we, can, we can mostly agree that for the most part, they're probably bad foods. Like they're probably health detracting rather than health promoting. But that doesn't mean that you never have to eat those foods. It just means that if we were to create a hierarchy, they're likely to be lower down in it. So this is where I guess my, my concern comes in is that when we, if you go on Instagram, you'll come across some pages that will, you know, do these kind of um, food comparisons. And it's like, oh, here's a healthy food. And then it'll be a picture of like a chocolate bar or a donut or something. And it'll be like also a healthy food. And then give you a context in which that could potentially be helpful. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's worth people being aware of those nuances as we've been discussing. But the reality is that most people shouldn't eat more donuts. Like it's, it's hard to argue that like most people shouldn't eat more McDonald's. Most people shouldn't eat more pizza. You know, it's fine every now and then. Absolutely. And I think that's part of being an adult is recognizing that things can be good and bad. Um, to some degree, there can be a hierarchy there and that you're still able to trade off and make some of those decisions and say that, hey, you know, this mightn't be the best for my health, but I'm going to fit it in every now and then. And there might be a trade-off in the sense that I might want to eat more of it. I might have a, a taste for that food and, you know, want to overeat a bit, but, you know, I'll, I'll eat a little bit less later in the day or whatever. So, so we, can, we can appreciate the nuances. We can appreciate the fact that when we talk about um, disordered eating, for example, we definitely don't want to be promoting excessive dietary restraint. And that's something that probably warrants a podcast in and of itself. But dietary restraint is something that can, that can exist uh, independent of even talking about foods. So if you were talking about uh, the if it fits your macros approach that we discussed, if you're being really restrictive about only hitting calories and macros, you might think that that's really flexible because you're saying, you know, oh, I'm allowed to eat whatever I want. But the reality is that it's still very restrictive or heavy in restraint in the sense that you're trying to hit very specific numbers. So there's psychological factors related to hitting those specific numbers, just like there's psychological factors related to calling specific foods good and bad. So the reality is that, look, it, it, it's complicated, but for the purpose of the actual question, which we're trying to answer, you know, are there bad foods? I do think we can, we can agree that there are foods that uh, you probably want to eat less. I think that's, that's very, it's, it's funny because if you were to ask anyone on the street, this would be probably a pretty simple answer. Like, yeah, obviously like don't eat loads of chips and burgers. And it's only those of us that maybe know a bit more about nutrition that end up calling this a nuanced question. But you know, your, your granny could, could probably answer this question, you know, when she sees you coming in with a big bag of chips and she says, what are you eating that shite for? You know, she's, she's probably, she's probably onto something there. Yeah. And look, my bias is that I would love to be able to have a diet that was just brisket ribs oh, for sure man <laughs> apple pie chipper yes. like that would be phenomenal like that would be i would be set right um and like if the diet paradigm is going to say like no they're not bad foods as long as they fit these macros i'm like cool let's follow that you know but that's probably not the most healthful diet you know and answering the question like even though 
and I said it earlier on, like the answer to the question is no, there's no bad foods, right? Like the actual nuanced answer is a maybe. But then when you actually start digging into it, like Gary said, it kind of becomes a yes, where it's like, yeah, if we put these in a hierarchy, these are bad foods. You know, it's like, these are worse for your goals. These are worse for, you know, generic goals. So it is understandable, like you said, um, you could ask, you know, any randomer on the street, are there good and bad foods? And they'd probably be like, yeah, obviously. Um, but once you start digging into the, the understanding of nutrition, you do get to the stage where you're kind of like, ah, oh, like the answer is actually incredibly nuanced, you know? Um, so answering the question, is there good and bad foods? It's a no, it's a maybe, and it's a yes. Right? Yeah, I would say, I, I hope would that say helps. That. I would say, you know, bad foods are bad foods insofar as they make a bad diet. Like that's, that's probably as nuanced as you need to be in that, you know, it's not the food in and of itself in that, you know, I had, I had a absolutely fantastic brownie earlier that my mom made, mom made some, some brownies. Like I'm not going to have brownies every day, you know, and I'm not going to have them three times a day. I might have a second today, right? I'm not going to lie, but I'm not going to have them all week, you know? So if you were to then average out and say, right, how did that brownie impact Gary's, uh, October nutrition, let's say, it's going to have a fairly minimal effect because it's one brownie. You know, if I had one a week, you know, a little bit more of an effect, still very minimal. But when you start having it seven days a week, it's like, okay, it might start to have an impact. You know, if we start to think about, you know, uh, sugar and, and saturated fat and these types of things coming, increasing and displacing other nutrients, we might think, you know, the rest of your diet would want to be in fairly good shape. Um, and then if you're having two brownies a day or three brownies a day, and suddenly it's making up 50% of your calories, that's when you start to run into problems very clearly, because not only are you adding in things that are potentially, um, detracting from your health, but you're also displacing other things that could be beneficial for your health. So if you're getting all of your calories from carbohydrates and fats, then you have less opportunity to get in protein. If you're getting, you know, uh, all of your calories in from a food that doesn't allow you to get much, let's say, uh, vitamin A or vitamin B6 or whatever it happens to be, it's like, okay, now you don't have much opportunities to get in those nutrients. So it's all about looking in the long term because that brownie once a week, meh, doesn't matter. Four brownies a day for 10 years, that matters. That certainly matters because the reality is that the vast majority of, of concerns that you would have, whether they be inefficiencies in the sense that you have low nutrients tests or they be um, overabundance in that you're consuming, you know, excess sugar and fat and calories. comes to health, whether it be you know, a nutrient deficiency manifested complications. They're all things that accumulate over the course of years and decades. So that's why I think that having that average approach um, and, and that kind of zooming out and looking at your diet as a whole can be really helpful. So that's the way I would summarize it is probably, you know, there are bad foods if they make bad diets. Uh, but if you're having these so-called bad foods every now and then, it probably doesn't matter too much, you know? And do bad diets make bad people, Gary? Yes. <laughs> no i actually always say this um when we we chat in, in private is that if we well at least me if it didn't happen to be interested in health like i'm very lucky that i'm interested in health and that our business is related to health because i think with my personality like i would be the type of person to just not really cook for myself and just be a workaholic and drink red bull till two in the morning if i didn't have an interest in health so i'm grateful for that <laughs> Are you interested in health? Is that 
What? Really? I meant money. Oh, shit. Fuck. Uh, yes. This I, we do I, it. This is why we do it, Gary. We do it for the money. This is why we produce all Ball this content. That's why we record these podcasts in our track suits because we're so interested in the money. You know, I only wear track suits. So <laughs> I think that's, that's a stab at me. I know you sometimes wear nice clothes. I know. It's embarrassing. It's disgusting. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, the answer to the question is a yes, no, maybe so. It's a longer discussion. Um, but basically, you can make better choices. And that's how you should guide your life. Make better choices where possible. Now, what are the better choices? Yep. That's what you'll have to find out when I eventually write that article series. And uh, when we maybe do a longer video podcast, whatever, on this topic as well. You know, or you could do what most people do and just copy the foods that their favorite fitness influencers eat and you know call it all good. Yep, could do that. Uh, anyway, that's us done, Gary. Um, where can people find us? Do all the usuals. Yeah, as always, guys. Um, if you're if you're a coach listening to this or a personal trainer, um, depending on what you try, you want to to call yourself. See, you know, we we say coach a lot of the time, like when we say coach's corner and stuff, because it's so much simpler than saying, I don't know, like personal trainer's corner or I don't know, trainer's, what what goes with T, trainer's, I don't know, trainer's trajectory. There you go. That could be our new business. Trainer's chocked. (laughs) Chocking a trainer. Anyway, yeah, coach's corner. If if you're a coach or a trainer, uh, you can sign up for the coach's corner. That's where we produce educational content for coaches slash trainers. So things like anatomy, things like biomechanics, things like nutrition theory and applied coaching practice, which is really important. So case studies, coaching documentation, and stuff that you can actually use immediately if you're working with people. Uh, that's ultimately what we, want to, what we want to provide in the Coach's Corner. So you can yeah, sign up for that below. are absolutely loving your anatomy series. Now, I don't know if that's because it's the first thing in the Coach's Corner. Yeah, so it's kind of just like, oh, I'm just making my way through the content, start at the start, and that just happens to be the anatomy stuff. But people are loving it, sharing it like wildfire on the old gram, not that I'm on the gram, that I can see it. I just get that information from you. Um, but also like the feedback from it has been great in terms of people saying like, this is actually really helpful for them because you're actually teaching it in a very applied way. You know, like it's like, all right, this, yeah, we're talking about, I don't know what the most recent one you did there was on the wrist, you know? And it's like, this is actually how you see that. Like, here's the anatomy. Cool. Mm-hmm. Like, it's pretty fucking boring. You know, if you're just like, here's the joints and here's the muscles and here's the bones and you know, whatever. It's like, that's, that's fucking boring. But when you're like, this is how it applies in these contexts, you start going, Oh yes. Okay. Now it's, it's a little bit more interesting and I can see how it can actually use this information to help people. Yeah. And I, and I do think if you are a trainer, who's like, you've been putting off learning anatomy. Like I do think this is a really good resource. Obviously I'm biased, but trust me, like I've learned anatomy, so learned and relearned anatomy so many times myself. And the vast, the way, the way it's taught, it, whether it be in book format or on YouTube or whatever, it's never in a way that's applied to trainers. And because it's made, like most anatomy content is basically made for doctors or, or maybe physios. Um, and that's obviously their clinical clinical um degrees so as a result you end up with all of this overwhelming information and it's kind of a lot of it's just unnecessary 
that, you know, you don't necessarily need as a trainer. Like what you want to know as a trainer is, you know, all right, someone's got, my client has, you know, pain on inside of their elbow, you know, what, what, what goes there? What's actually there at the inside of the elbow? Why does that get sore? How can I modify their exercises? That's the stuff that actually matters. And, and things like, you know, where do different muscles attach roughly so that I know how to train them better? You know, that, that's what you need to know. Um, so yeah, if you are interested, anatomy then I, I would recommend um, with significant conflict of interest the coach's corner um, additionally if you are someone who's just looking to get on the path yourself with your own training we do have coaching spaces available to be honest very restricted um, in that we are nearly full for coaching so if you are interested in working with us towards the to, as, you, as you kind of move towards Christmas and into the new year and now would be a good time to start you know if you have those goals um, so you can sign up and work with us uh, if you just like to kind of get involved with our community, you can join the triage method community on Facebook. You could also subscribe to our newsletter, which is linked below. Um, and you can just follow us on social media. You know, we're, we're going to be putting out some more, um, tailored content for our social media platforms, um, on Instagram, I'm going to try and do, or we're going to try and do at least, you know, one, one specific kind of more detailed post on our Instagram per week, just so people have, you know, a reason to actually follow there rather than just us reposting stuff. Uh, but we'll also be putting up some YouTube stuff. You know, we've had, we've had a lot of requests to record kind of day in the life stuff, which is, you know, we're probably the worst people to ask for day in the life stuff. I can't but, wait you know, to be recording this day in the life. I'm sitting <laughs> at this exact same position. Sitting I'm still. Gonna put, I'm going to put my camera over here and I'm just going to be like, right. Time lapse. No, it's not even going to be a time lapse. It's just going to be eight hours straight of me sitting on laptop, occasionally going to the toilet. Yeah, so you can do that. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. But in all seriousness, we are actually posting... Um, a lot of new exercise tutorials at the moment on our YouTube channel. So they're elaborated on in a lot more detail in the coach's corner. So if you are a coach who wants to, you know, send those videos to your clients and have lots of additional cues and training theory, et cetera, you can get that in the coach's corner. But if you're someone who just like, you know, you want to have real simple tutorials, we, we are posting all those on YouTube at the moment. And look, we have no problem with you sending them to your clients if you want either. Like, I don't that's care. You know, that's what they're for. So if you're a coach and you're short on exercise tutorial videos, saves you time. So you can check those out. Um, but other than that, we don't really, we don't really have too much, too much else going on. I don't think. Um, stay tuned in the next few weeks for more podcast episodes with, uh, with more guests that we're, that's what we're trying to do at the moment. So if you're enjoying the guest episodes, do let us know. We have Lee Bell on this coming Monday, and then we'll have another, a number of other uh, episodes coming up on, on kind of mixed topics. So we're trying to keep it mixed, but there will be some consistency as well. You'll notice that, that Shannon was on and she discussed the concepts related to health at every size and some diet psychology stuff. And that also featured in the conversation with Brian O'Hengisa. And we will have at least one or two more people as well to discuss those topics with, um, because we haven't covered them in too much detail. And we kind of always discuss them in passing. You know, even in this conversation, we were talking about dietary restraint and stuff like that. So, so we will have more in-depth conversations uh, on those topics. But, yes, but that's it for me. We also have some exciting news coming in the, the next few weeks, months. I don't know even what week this is. You know, again, this whole Rona stuff has, has the, Rona. the pause on the year, basically. And I still feel like it's February or something. And weird. Even though autumn is actually my favorite time of year, but that's just an aside. The uh, fall? Yes, fall. Um, but anyway, yes, this episode has been rambling on for long enough. I have to go for my second walk of the day so that I can interrupt sitting at a desk. Um, 
And yeah, I have nothing else to say. Gary, do you? I've taken 2,000 steps today, so I should probably follow your lead. Let's that go. is absolutely repulsive. Goodbye, right. folks. Goodbye. It's easy. <laughs>